Una de las especies más peculiares del mundo latino es el Padreus protectorus, que vive colgado encima de sus hijos como un koala. Vamos contigo por si le pasa algo a tu auto. Mamá, voy a estar bien. Pero este instinto sobreprotector se está extinguiendo, porque State Farm está ahí las 24 horas y los necesitas. Así que los padres finalmente están soltando a sus hijos a la naturaleza. ¡Nos mandas fotos! Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Llama para obtener una cotización hoy. This episode of Butcher Break was brought to you by you, the fans. That's right, I'm talking to you in your car or wherever you are right now. And you can sign up to our Patreon. You know, you've heard me say this, correct? For 15% off for the year, for the season. You're back, you're back with the Rangers. We're back with the Rangers. We're here every single week. We never left. 15% off our Patreon, BSB, OTs, Discord, and more. And Greg's uh, Phenomenal Mets podcast, where you can hear Greg exclusively talk about the Mets, not on this podcast, uh, and scream. Scream a lot and cry, and some other self. Uh, Vince Burkle got on the show today. Was nice enough to join us from camp. Gave us some nice notes of what's going on. We asked him some fun questions, including, should we go uh, not carry an extra defenseman? Hmm, makes you think. So, without further ado, uh, here's Mark Messier to introduce us. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Busher Breakaway fans, welcome to another week of the Busher Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Gregory Kaplan. Uh, Greg, how was your weekend? Fuck off. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Um, if you want to figure out how Greg's actually weekend was, you can go to our Patreon. He'll tell you all about it. Oh, did I? I 16. Ryan, in those 16 minutes, I found, I think, 17 different ways to say fuck or motherfuck i'm pretty sure yeah i mean we will, if you want to hear greg talk about it it's there we're not gonna get super deep into it I, <laughs> I do feel for you i do feel for you yeah no everything's great i fucking hate everything about life why do people <laughs> watch sports like i that's that's the question I it's the dumbest know. thing you can do it's so fucking stupid it, it's, it's the- i gotta tell you i'll be honest it's on the level of religion about how fucking dumb it is <laughs> wow i mean they're both very similar in in terms of a lot. Yeah, it, I, like I didn't realize. I had no idea that Yom Kippur was this past weekend because, boy, did I feel miserable and hungry the entire time. <laughs> wow, the jokes are just starting out hot. Uh, let's get to camp breakdowns because we have Vince Percogliano to on today, and mm-hmm. uh, he breaks it all down for us. But there's not much to break down. That's kind of where we're at. Uh, the Goodrow has gone out to the first line situation is really where we'll start. Whereas Goodrow, uh, notably, we've talked about his contract before. We've talked about his, his uh, play on the ice, his willingness to sacrifice his body for the team, taking two pucks off an ankle after what was broken, and then again in the playoffs, and still somehow playing through it. And they're still easing him back in. And they've eased him back into the first line because it seems like they still can't find a way to figure out what's going on in that first line. Uh, we talk about this with Vince later on in the show, but I think it's worth revisiting here, or first visiting, rather. And... I don't hate the Goodrow thing. I just don't. I just don't see it as beneficial at all. I, I know he played a lot last year with Panarin and uh, and Strom as well. So he's always kind of that jack of all trades player that can move up and down the lineup and kind of do whatever you want him to do. Responsibly defensive wherever he is, which is fine. Like that's there's nothing wrong with that. But the top nine, that's the one glaring piece right now. I, I don't know how Sammy Blaze Camp has been in particular. It seems like Vince. Uh, 
and others have have noted it's been all right. It hasn't like stood out at all. Uh, but obviously, playing with Mika and Kreider is going to uh, uh, hopefully elevate you in some way. But the Goodrow thing, well, I, I I could see him back on the fourth line immediately, like tomorrow. Yeah, I have no idea how you go into a weekend series with Scherzer, Degrom, and Bassett on the mound, <laughs> and you just lose all you three just, games, and you just can't win one. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. When all you need to do is win fucking one. Anyway, Barkley Goodrow, because that's who we're going to talk about today. That's that's what's on the mind of all New Yorkers. Um, it's interesting, <laughs> Gregory. I'm so sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I legitimately, yeah, the Rays are a wild card too. I'm right there with you. Cool, man. Yeah, dope. Thank you. Love it. Um, Solidarity. Anyway, Jesus Christ. I honestly, I don't know how I've gone through today. I, I, I had to do a spot with our good friend Emma on her um, new. Oh, you went on ESPN? I, I went on ESPN. That's the only reason I put clothes on today. Like, I was ready for today to just be a, a deep in the shit, smell like ass, don't talk to a human kind of day. And uh, instead, here I am talking to you, my least favorite of humans. Um, there you go. <laughs> All right, I'm going to focus in here. Let me, let, me, let me bear down. So, as you mentioned, I agree with a lot of your sentiment. Barclay Goodrow is a useful player in, in, the, in the mind frame of how many times have we talked about having guys in the lineup that if push came to shove and you needed to get him minutes, maybe a couple more minutes than you would like to on a given night, you'd feel comfortable about doing it for small small segments of time, a couple games here, two weeks there, someone picked up an injury. You don't want to go outside the organization to fill it in. You need to have these guys on your roster that you can promote from within. You understand that you're not getting a hundred percent of what player X got you, but if you can get 70% of that without having to make an outside roster move, that's how good teams become great teams. And we think Barclay Goodrow, while we might hate the contract, is a player that enables a team to go from good to great. That's all fine and good if we're not talking about starting him in a position where we're asking him to do too much. It's one of those situations where you get it. Blay hasn't looked great. He's looked rusty. He looks like a player trying to come back from an ACL tear within a calendar year. That's what Sammy Blay looks like. He has to recover. You have to give him time. And whether you and I have issues with deploying Sammy Blay on the top line when he's at full strength, we're not even at the point of that conversation yet because that's just not where he is in his rehabilitation and progression as a functioning professional athlete coming off major reconstructive knee surgery. I understand that more people have torn their ACL and have corrective surgery since then. It doesn't mean it's not a significant injury just because we're more... It's like Tommy John's still a significant injury, even though we're more comfortable starting pitchers can come back from it, unless you pitch for the Mets, in which you fucking blow! Anyway, uh, <laughs> Barclay Goodrow. Uh, I saw it coming and it still hit me. <laughs> it still hits, you know? Oh. Barclay, Barclay Goodrow, th- this is the, 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 heads, the heads we're hitting here, Ryan. It's, yes. it's two schools of thought. It's mm-hmm. keep the kid line together to give them time to continue to gel to raise their personal confidence levels, to begin the season in a successful, proven environment. We don't want to disrupt anything with the kid line because we know it's going to work. The trade-off there is we're going to have to live with something less than stellar on the top line. The other alternative is 
break up the kid line now, put these kids into the fire immediately, and hope it clicks from the jump, and make the rest of the lineup deeper because you're putting bottom six players in more natural roles where they can thrive. That's really the crux of this entire conversation. I, It's easy for you and I to sit here and say, Alexi Lafreniere, Capococco needs to be on the top line because the Rangers have a clear hole there and they are the highest upside players available to play there. But I, I, I do understand the argument that there's benefit to maybe playing the kids two minutes a night less than you would want to because when the three of them are on the ice together, they're going to dominate and then they're going to have confidence and then you can put them in higher roles in the lineup. It's like, I don't know, calling up a 20-year-old catcher and asking him to bat seventh in the most important series of his life in which he's never played at that fucking level before (laughs) and expecting him to be a fucking savior. I have to normalize this shit out of this audio quality. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Braves do it. So, I mean, it fuck works. you. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, Ryan, Michael Harris batted ninth for three uh, fucking and, months. And, and Vaughn Grissom is now not in the starting lineup. He's so not even in the lineup. Yes. And it's, it's like, but like, do you want the kids to gain confidence together or do you want to challenge them and hope they gain confidence apart? That's, that's the conversation we are having. You know, it's funny, I, I, thinking back to this whole offseason, of which has been, I wouldn't say it's been normal, right? It's been sort of lackluster in some some places, lack of news, lack of progress. But I don't think I've ever, I don't think you and I ever called for, hey, Lafreniere has to be on the top line, or hey, Kako has to be up there. I, I We prefer them to be in the top six if possible, but I'm not upset that the kid line's going to be a thing again. You're, uh, you're, not, you're not upset, you're laying off the part of the conversation where we actually like the kid line being together if you're feeding them minutes. That's it. If they're getting 17 minutes a night, we're cooking. But they're not. They're not. There's now, no to chance. be fair, very. I don't think anyone on the New York Rangers is going to get 17 minutes a night at even strength. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. It, it, you, you're not on the ice you. You enough. It. Yeah, it's, you're play, not only are you playing four lines, but you take into account power play time and and penalty kill time, you're not going to get one line, most likely, playing 17 minutes a night at even strength. It's it's rare. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but when I'm mapping out when I'm mapping out how a game is going to be played in my head at least, I see like 15 is is my key number. And if I can get my top 3 lines 15 minutes at 5v5, I'm pretty happy. You're um, in a good spot. You really are. Yeah, and it's it's difficult. I don't know. I just there's no easy answer here. It, there really isn't. And the frustrating part is when there's no easy answer, you're left in situations where we're debating whether Barclay Goodrow could be a top line player, or debating whether Sammy Blay is a more natural fit in terms of line chemistry than other guys on the roster. It's he's it's the line. A, ke- but maybe the chemistry comes back with Lafreniere. They had something cooking right before he t- he tore his ACL. I know, but I but like. You can't deny that there's more chemistry, successful chemistry, when Lafreniere plays with Hedl and Kako. Oh, you cannot deny it at all. They yeah. Look, they look amazing together I, when, they, when they're kicking it. I think that line, it works perfectly. Because think, think of the mindset of each player on the line. Alexi Lafreniere wants to be the big dog. He wants to eat. And Philip Hedl is a guy that's like, I'm happy to feed myself if I have to. But I'm also happy just to bum rush a shop and clear space for my other guys. And Kako's going to defer to both of them. 
Kako's he's going to defer. It, it's just, I think that's a big reason why Panarin is so frustrated when he plays with Kako because it's not just that Kako defers to Panarin. It's just that Panarin's natural style of game is to set up the other guys on his line. And Kako is just set on this permanent mindset of deferral. That doesn't play well with a guy who just wants to, he just wants to feed. That's all he wants to do. Panarin um, is a feeder. And that's why he continues to work with Kraftsoff after practice doing one-timers. Like, hey, I'm going to hit you with these passes. Yeah. It doesn't matter where, where you think I'm, I am. You've never seen a player like me. I'm going to pass to you. So if you don't take these shots, I will fight you, IRL. And that's why he's sitting with Kravtsov every single night. Like, hey, keep hitting these shots. Because when, it, when the puck comes to you, you need to shoot. You need to take advantage of that. I know. And again, like if it's another thing. Because like, Lafreniere would fit so perfectly with Panarin. I'm I, I know we've had all summer to talk about this right wing thing and like hey how hard could it be? Uh you're you could play on the offhand. It's super clear he doesn't he's not comfortable with it. It's yeah, it's either he's not comfortable with it or Gallant is not comfortable asking him to do it. Cuz he'll never admit moments. like I I can't do that. Like I, I, mean, I I would honestly put it more on Gallant being like this is an unnatural assignment for my player and I'm asking him to do it in the highest of leverage situations with other star players around him. And he thinks he's being fair to Lafreniere to not ask him to be more than what he thinks Lafreniere is capable of. I just think I have a different ceiling for the man, for the kid. And I'd rather challenge him in those respects. But again, like it's so important for the Rangers to get off to a good start. Not, not necessarily for their playoff perspective or anything like that. It's the team got off to such a poor start last year at five V five. They won in spite of it. They don't want to do that again. So I understand the mindset of saying, this kid line clearly works for me. I would like to keep it together. I get that. It's going to help all three players on that line because they're going to play together. They're going to have rhythm. They know it works. Their confidence is going to be at an all-time high. The problem is you do just have this natural gaping hole that you are now not addressing with players of the caliber to address it. It's not, you're asking too much of Barclay Goodrow. You're asking too much of Sammy Blay. The problem is you're asking too much of any player you put in that role. But at least you could stylistically put a player in there that would work, which is like a high-volume shooter like Frank Vetrano. Not a talent-level guy that fit, but at least a fit that worked. And it, it's just the Rangers don't have that guy, that shooter first mentality guy on that on the roster right now. If big if you want to keep the kid line together, you do want to keep them together at least at first. It's it's just get like you said. It's important to get out of the gates hot. Well, you know, you, know, year, you know what's just insane. You know who actually would make sense on that top line, and it's it, it batshit that the words are coming out of my mouth. Jimmy Vc makes sense up there. I I like I think I tweeted this the other day. Like he's going to get top line minutes. <laughs> like it's going to happen. But it's it's just like stylistically speaking, he makes more sense than Goodrow. Oh yeah, well he has offensive upside. Yeah, it's I, very limited. He's not a two way player. But, it's but he's got zero. a better shot than Goodrow has. VC's responsible defensively. He's he's worked on it a lot. It seems like he's come a long way. I just don't know. The more I think about it, do you really think they're going to cut Hunt to keep BC? No, I, I don't know. It, I don't see how they can cut VC. 
I said this last week, and I mean it. I really don't know if you want to. That's fucking crazy. We're in 2022. I know. But <laughs> we started this podcast talking there, about Jimmy BC. We started this podcast complaining about the New York fucking Mets, and I'm not done complaining about them. But, like, at more than any other sport, Ryan, could you think of a sport that is more of a meritocracy than the National Hockey League? And it's almost like coaches get joy out of reminding the bottom of the roster players that it is a meritocracy. And if you're doing it based off of who has performed the best, you can't sit here and tell me Jimmy Vesey hasn't been one of the best 12 forwards the Rangers have had in this camp. Oh, in preseason? No doubt about it. Can't, I can't argue with you at all. He's been very good. He's been productive. He's looked like a different player on the ice. It's how long does that last? Because everybody could look good for three games, right? Right? Sure, Especially but in the preseason. I, yeah, give him the three games in the regular season. Like, the Rangers are approaching a level in terms of organizational depth where if they, if VC gets two weeks and he's not up to cut and you have to get rid of him, all right? Like, let's play this out where they had to put Dryden Hunt on waivers and they weren't able to keep him. But, like, you have guys like Bobby Trevino who could come up and you're confident can play a role on this Ranger team that is a net positive. I'm not asking him to be a star, but I think we're comfortable enough with Trevino where he can do something. Gustav Rydell, same thing. Not asking him to be a star, but if push came to shove and he had to come up, because we assume Ryan Carpenter is going to be the bottom line center now, especially with Goodrow being moved up in the lineup, I'm confident the Rangers have a hockey player that can perform at the NHL level in Rydell. I'm confident the Rangers have guys like Tim Gettinger, who if I need them to fill in, on that fourth line, I'm confident he can do the job. You're finally at a point with the Rangers where when you go down to Hartford to bring people up, you're not bringing up guys who should be on the chopping block all the time. You're bringing up guys who do specific things well that you have some confidence can fit a certain role in your lineup. The problem with the Rangers is we're asking if, again, we're keeping the kid lines together, we're asking guys not really capable of doing something they are going to have to do. And they're going to have to perform immediately. And that's the conundrum we have worked ourselves in by keeping the kid line together. A big re- None of us want to break up the kid line from a chemistry standpoint. That's not really it. We do it because we want the kids playing more, and we need the kids to play more high-leverage situations. And by keeping them together, yes, you're raising the floor for all three of them, absolutely, but you're creating an unobtainable ceiling for everybody else on the roster. You know what I mean? I do. And you mentioned like a lot of players I'd like to keep on the, on the team there, you know, hunt VC Rydell. I think they're all valuable depth players that should stay on the team. But I, I, I digress by mentioning, or rather I want to, I want to mention another story that came out today is that all other 31 teams now have mascots. But I tell you, Gregory, that Lieber Hayek is still on this team, and we also have a mascot. That it's so, it's it's so fun talking roster construction with Vince later in the show, and I don't want to step on it too much. It's amazing. But, but he talks about there being a twenty-two or a twenty-three man roster, and it's so funny having the conversation, knowing that he's trying to budget Lieber Hayek into both those scenarios. When if you just wanted to take Ryan. Forget about positions. Just take the 22 best players out of camp. Lieber Hayek ain't one of them. But since he is, for some reason, this seventh defenseman that we absolutely, positively must carry, he's coming, baby. We, we talk – I'm spoiling a lot of the interview with Vince here, but, dude, you think Jimmy Vesey couldn't play third defenseman? Like, it's like we, we complain about 
um, you know, playing right wing or, or, or Lafreniere being able to move around, be flexible, or some people playing center. Do you think he could play third pair, like seventh defenseman in an emergency? You don't think he could play it? You could play that, Rydell? He couldn't play well, defense in an emergency? I think the frustrating thing for me, Ryan, is when we're talking about building a lineup every night, it's, this isn't like dealing with a backup catcher where you need to have one on the roster. It, when you start a game, it's not you like you can call Hayek in. down you ha- from you the press You get to call box. people up. Robertson's up the next day. Yeah, so it's, it's really weird to me that a team would want to carry a player they are not going to play just so they can carry that player. If something happens to Zach Jones, it's no guarantee Lieber Hayek will be the guy who inserts, inserts into the lineup to play over him. The Rangers might still make a roster move to bring up a defenseman to replace Zach Jones. So who cares what positions your extra skaters play? Like if you have two forwards and no defensemen or two defensemen and no forwards, who gives a shit? You're only dressing 20 for the game. So if you have two forwards sitting and you have you don't have a seventh defenseman, it means you're not cycling guys in and out of your lineup. I got news for you, Ryan. The Rangers don't cycle defensemen in and out of their lineup where carrying a seventh defenseman makes a lot of sense for them. They have, the six, they have six guys they want to play on a nightly basis. And if one of them can't play, they're making a roster move to find someone that can. So who gives two shits if you don't carry a seventh defenseman when the season starts? Especially one, again, you don't want to play. I want to save season predictions uh, and bold takes for next season, uh, next week rather, next season, Jesus, next week, since it's the opening week and it'll be fun to go over. Uh, but have we seen the last of Gauthier? Is it over? Oh, Is it oh, finally God. over? Yeah, it, it, it's over. Um, does he get claimed? I think he does. I, I If you're, again, it's it's so funny that we keep using Seattle as the, well, why don't they just draft Julian Gauthier thing? But if you're a team like Seattle or Arizona, why wouldn't you take a chance on a 24, 25-year-old former first-round pick who has shown that he can at least be 80% of an effective <laughs> okay, hockey player? This is how you turn your body. All right, second hand on the stick. <laughs> Shoot the puck. <laughs> I, but, like, but the coaching, like, you know, maybe it's Gallant. Just saying. I don't, I don't know. He, Quinn didn't have use for him either. Well, but, yeah, Quinn wasn't exactly a best a coach, coach of all time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's difficult. If you keep Gauthier, what number call-up is he for you? Do you, I'd rather call up Bobby Trevino. No, Rydell's getting Gauthier. up first, no matter what. No, but not just – so you, whoever the 13th forward goes in first, we would think Rydell is second. If you're if three players go down, like I'd, I'd just rather call up Bobby Trevino. Yeah, I Gauthier's not staying. And they're going to want to try and get a pick for him, but they, they probably okay. couldn't. Okay. I'm sure they tried to trade him a if million times. If they could have gotten a pick for him, Ryan, they would have gotten a pick for him. Yeah, the Ivory team was like, well, wait till you wave him. We've seen how you feel about him. It's not going to happen. Imagine, oh my lord! Imagine both Hunt and VC go because Drury's like, I'm not trading Hayek and I'm not trading Goche, and I'm just going to carry them all year long. Day, I will day, day. throw up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I don't know what else I would do. It's, it's this. It's funny that those are the things that upset me when this team. This team has a lot of good going for it. It's going to be a very, very good team. I think. I think. I'll talk a little bit about the projections right now. A couple of the projection models came out today. Evolving Wild, who's been on the show a million times, their model loves the Devils. It loved the Devils last year. That didn't really work out. Um, loves them again this year. We'll see. 
I think it has the Rangers in, in fourth or fifth or something like that. And everybody in the Metro is scoring outside of the final two teams, I believe. Everything, everyone's above like 95 points. So it's a very competitive division. I still think the Rangers are strongly positioned to finish first or second. Uh, maybe I'm... I saw that uh, another model had Washington at 105 points tied for the highest in the league. I don't see it, Gregory. I don't get the Washington hype. Don't, I don't really buy in. I think Pittsburgh has another run or two in them, no doubt about it. I don't know if they're going to regular season it up where they're going to crush it. I just think you need to have like younger bodies to it's more of a marathon in this situation. Then I don't think do you think Pittsburgh cares if they're the second wild card? I don't think they give a shit. Well, I think part of it um in terms of the Rangers kind of stacking up poorly in these models. The two things the Rangers do at an elite level are supposed to be the two things that have the highest variance in terms of carryover from year to year, goaltending and pen- and power play, um, or just special teams production. Um, your power play is not supposed to be as consistently good as the Rangers is, and your goalie is not supposed to be Igor Shesterkin. So it's, the Rangers get undervalued. We could say the Rangers, again, I go back, Ryan, once upon a time, you and I were doing a podcast towards the end of October, early November. The Rangers were 6-3-3. Three, and three. You and I would come on the show and say, this team looks bad. They don't look like a team that should be 6-3-3, three, and three, but they are because they score on the power play and Igor Shosturkin doesn't allow goals in the net. But I don't need a model to tell me the Rangers were overperforming in those first 12 games. I saw it with my own eyes. They sucked at 5-on-5 five five scoring, something that eats up the majority of a hockey game. And to be honest, they sucked at it before the trade deadline, too. Yeah. And then after the trade deadline, they went gangbusters, and then just slowly through the playoffs, it dropped off. Yeah, and for the most part, the Rangers, throughout the majority of the regular season, not a team that just puts shots on net. They, they for whatever reason, last year, were a team that really chose when to throw their punches. Well, this is, this is actually a little fun segment. Who is the shoot-first player on the team? Uh, it's funny because I would say Mika Zibanejad, but he's a different player on the power play than he is at even strength. I agree. Mika's the, Mika was the first person I had, so we agree Mika Zibanejad. Number two? Panarin? Who, it's again, would Truba? rather... Truba? <laughs> like... Well, it's definitely Truba. Truba's never seen a shot he dislikes. <laughs> but, but that's it. That, that's what's so funny, like getting pucks on net. The, the team doesn't have that kind of player, and that's why Panarin's sitting with Kravtsov every single night. Like, you need to shoot first. Well, no one else does. But it's also, that's why players like Frank Vetrano looked so good for the Rangers, because they finally brought in a player, forget skill level or talent level, who just wanted to fucking shoot. Which is why Othman is going to be so sick when he eventually gets here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so long, sucker. We'll see Next you in year. April. Uh, Next year, yeah. And just, it's, it, it is frustrating that, I mean, it's not a bad way to build a team, a team full of dynamic playmakers. You can make opportunities out of fucking nothing. I'm like, not it, saying the offense is, is bad, you're, but you're right. They're not a shoot first, get the puck Tro, on net, and then figure it out situation. That's kind of why it's going to be good to have a guy like Trocek now who is more of a shoot first player. Because while Ryan Strom wouldn't classify him as a shooter, uh, especially since in order to shoot, you have to make connections with the puck. You Ryan also have Strom, to hit the net. Ryan so. Strom, to me, is a lot like the Mets offense, in which it just fucking blows. And it's just... <laughs> I am strangling my microphone. I just... I, I don't know. I don't know how to talk to people about anything that isn't the Mets. It's like the one thing people want to hear from me today is a Met take. And I got to tell you, you know exactly what it is before you even ask the question. It's like, no. oh, 
I wonder how Greg feels today. I, I bet you're you going to bed and in the mood. I, I felt you. I felt you in my soul when I was going to sleep. I was like, I know what it's like. That's it. Yeah, I, uh, I don't. I don't know when I, I. I went out of my way to watch like comedy specials because if I watched anything that wasn't something actively trying you to you want to do your band laugh. of brothers rewatch today wasn't uh, you know i didn't <laughs> jump into i didn't jump into that Dahmer short short series there <laughs> i avoided that one because i probably would have eaten the person if i watched it but anyway the new york rangers the team uh, we talk about do you want to get into the five-star question before we get into our interview with vince I just, just to put a, just to put a bow on what what the fuck were we even talking about Nadia, i don't even know Shooting? what to put a bow on shooting I'd, I'd like to be shot. I guess that's how I'd put a bow on it. <laughs> just to put a bow on it. End me. It's over. Uh, uh, just, I can't fucking believe it. Unbelievable. If you'd like to leave a five-star question, you can go to our Patreon, get access to our Discord, and leave a five-star question. We will read them on the show. That's how it works. Uh, this is from David. Lieber never leaves the press box and never will be traded slash released. Is he the ultimate good hang that he's got the reason? Is that And is that the reason he remained? No. No. It's dirt. Yeah. Can't be anything else. He's not a good hang. He's a smart fucker in terms of gathering information. He would be the best insider in the NHL. I do you think no, Drury would Drury would have found out. Like if he, he leaked stuff? Imagine Lieber leaked stuff? Lieber leaking? Man, the content, Lieber content, I'm going to miss it. I really am. Uh, in 2 years when he's finally off this fucking team. Yeah, what do you mean you're going to miss it? There's no sign of it ending. I know. This is from Jplay. Is the Crimson Chin secret of identity Adam Fox? You're not the first person to ever say this, and I believe I've I've tweeted the picture side by side before, uh, and uh, we've never seen them both in the same room. Never seen them both in the same room. This is a good one. This is one of my favorite five star questions ever. How come the banks are moving on from Libor L I B O R all caps? That's an interest rate, and the Rangers still have it. Hmm. <laughs> it makes you think. <laughs> I did, it I makes, did like that one. It makes it. I don't know. I didn't like the English pound took a nosedive, right? It recently. did with Queen, you know. Yeah, but no, I, I think it's because whoever the prime minister. I was watching. I I tried to acknowledge myself a little bit today and watch uh, last week tonight in order to feel something different. And I I don't know. There's something they're trying like trickle down economics over there, and everyone's trickle like, down. Notoriously, it's worked forever. Yeah, no, it worked so well in the '80s that it fucking didn't. And, <laughs> and it didn't and, do anything. Yeah. So imagining trying to recreate that, I think it tanked the pound. I don't know. What was the question? Lieber Hayek? Yeah, except that it was a good one. It was just Can he hit game. left-handed pitching? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, Alvarez. I mean, some of those at-bats. Hey, that's your boy. I love him. He's not ready. I love him. He uh, has, in his career, which has lasted like eight at-bats, Ryan, eight for eight at swinging at the first pitch, Two for eight for losing the bat while swinging at the first pitch. There was one Kana. How do you say his name? Kana. Kana. Okay, I don't know if they, I don't know if there was like a weird thing. There was one a bat he took where it was like one of the worst at bats I've seen in a long time. It's and just, he's uh, one of the better ones. I know, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Conti- no. Continuing here, Brock's Harlem hockey. I think this is a good discussion for us. Okay, outside of elite puck control, what is Kapokako's strength as an NHL player? He's not a playmaker the way Panarin is. He doesn't have a laser shot like Zabinajad. And he's not a net front presence like Kreider. I realize there is a, those are extreme examples, but Kako was the number overall two pick, and he's not a good shooter like Vetrano was. What role does Kako fill, if any? And it is, if, if his role is unclear, is this why he struggles to fit in the first and second lines? Well, I think part of the problem is, 
it's not a lot of thoughts on this. I wish he shot as much as Vetrano because I think he's quite good at it. He actually does have a great shot. Uh, he can shoot quite hard and quite quickly. His he hesitates. A lot of the things that go on with Capo Caco are mental. Now I don't know that for sure. Can I confirm that with him? No, but you can watch it and see it on the ice. He hesitates. He loses some confidence on the ice when he either either is driving to the net. He'll defer and pass when he wants to be should be aggressive. I think there's just too many people. He I think it was brainwashed from David Quinn first off, and. I think he there's too many people he wants to defer and make happy, and that's why he works on the kid line a little bit better because they're his peers. They're not people who will yell at him. And he has he has a you talk about his elite abilities. His defense is very good. He is a black hole when it comes to getting the puck away from people and then also controlling the puck as well. He'll also hold on to the puck too long. So that's a negative side. His skating is not powerful. It's not strong. Uh, he's not fast. He's not. His positioning needs work, and he needs to be more aggressive out there. But he has a lot of elite skills in general. He can go to the net. He can outman handle and outpower defensemen. Those are all there for him. He just hasn't put it together because he hasn't really had the confidence to. Yeah, I'm going to blame it on the confidence. It for me, it's we haven't seen. He's just timid. I think timid is the best word to describe Capocacco's game. If we could ever get his aggression and selfishness selfishness out on the ice i think you'd start seeing everything that made him a the the clear number two overall pick and it's just it you know injuries have played a role um covid played a role i can't think of something worse in this world than a 20 something being in lockdown where they can't even barely talk to their own teammates let alone any other human being outside. And he also like was he ate like six chicken nuggets in three days in a hotel. Yeah, he just wasn't ready to be on his own. So it's a lot of there are a lot of excuses that you can make for Capocacco developmentally that even go outside of Rangers hockey. But if he ever finds his aggressiveness and that tenacity that he showed in the Finnish league, you're gonna be fucking thankful he's a New York Ranger. It's big if he gets there though. It is a big if. It, it, this is the year. This is kind of... I know we've been saying he's still young and all that and waiting. He kind of has to prove it this year. It's really, really important for him. Uh, this is from J-Play. It's, this question's a little dated, but in my humble opinion, often has been better than Kravtsov in the preseason. Do you think Kravtsov will make the team over him? Yes, he has, and he will. Uh, often has been sent back to juniors, as you know, Greg and I have talked about forever. Uh, often did look a little bit better, but then often struggled and dropped off as, as teams started to figure him out in the preseason. Kravtsov's well, going to be just okay. He's going to be great. I, yeah, I, I struggle sometimes with like, oh, the guy has to show it in camp in order for um, him to get a certain... I think by game 10, we're going to have a full different conversation about Kravtsov. Like, ooh, this guy's real. No, but like, so Larry Brooks's article today is like, you know, Julian Goche has outplayed Vitaly Kravtsov in camp. Yeah, that's nice and all. But I know what Julian Goche is like in the regular season. So even if he's underperforming in camp, I'd rather try Kravtsov just because at least I is have that story a from 2021. Like <laughs> he wrote, he wrote it today, big guy. He tweeted it out. And uh, I Go- didn't read it. Goche's had a fine camp and all that, but it's at some point you have to put aside how a player has looked in an exhibition game and understand that the player himself understands it's an exhibition game. And maybe he's doing something simply to not get in trouble during said exhibition game. I Kravtsov, I don't care what he does in camp. I need to know what this motherfucker can do for the first three months of the year. And when I get to the three-month point, I will have enough data to be like, this ain't fucking working, or we have something here. 
I didn't need to see him do anything in camp that would make me feel one way or another. Because I've seen Kravtsov had good camps. I've seen him have bad camps. What I haven't seen is him playing on a regular basis in a high-leverage role on the New York Rangers. And I'm not going to get that in training camp. I'm going to get that in the regular season. So, to me, he was never a guy that was in competition with someone. Because his competition is not in camp. It's something the Rangers need to see in the regular season. And the only way to see it in the regular season is going to break your mind is by not losing to the Braves three straight games in Atlanta when all you had to do was win fucking one. One. Just one. Control your destiny. One. Final question from Gooses. Thoughts on hypothetical that Reeves retires at the end of the season and George Gallant's coaching staff. I do not believe he will. I think he's going to go to media. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why he would get into – he seems like a guy destined to replace, like, Biz – on the national shows. If Biz like goes into just either A does something stupid or B decides he wants to do something else? Probably A more than B. I think Biz has done a really great job. I know how people feel about him, but he's been he's made TNT super engaging. I feel like he's trying to do Pat McAfee and he's not doing it as well. Pat if Pat's special though. His Pat's he's I don't a know. goat. No one should try to replicate him. No Pat has done Pat has done an amazing job. I love Pat, I, I don't I know you're not a big college football guy, but having him on college game day it has brought life into that he's show. Been really good on SmackDown. Like, he's he's just him on Game Day. It's all, Game Day has always been a show that I watch almost out of like duty. I feel responsible and that I need to watch it in order to watch a noon college football game. But McAfee actually actually made that show like electric. It is something it not it didn't used to be. The the one thing I'll give Biz credit for uh, is he does open players up. Like in a, in a big way, but hockey players open up to him. They joke, they laugh, they like don't give you the typical hockey interview because he's there. It's a big deal because no one else gets that. Nobody. Um, but yeah, I think Reeves definitely media, definitely uh, just good hang. Honestly, uh, more money there too than coaching. I don't. That, just that's for sure. And even he has a lot of brands in Vegas. I wouldn't be surprised if he moves back there. Just wouldn't wouldn't be shocking. Uh, that's it. So let's go to our guest, Vince Mercargoliano of lowhud.com, and we will catch you on the the flip side. Transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest. We have Vince Mercargoliano of lowhud.com. You can read them all, all the time. You can subscribe to him for this year, the Ranger season. Vince, welcome back. Hey, guys. What's up? Well, not much, not much. So listen, let's start. Uh, let's get right into it. I know you're on a little bit of a time limit today. Uh, so we don't want to talk about the Mets? No, Vince, Vince, we don't want to fucking talk about the Mets, Vince. All right, <laughs> all right, all right. I only got I only got twenty minutes. I won't I won't bust the shop too much. Another time, Vince. So sorry. Um, camp has been going on. Where we are a week away from opening night, pretty much at this point in time. Uh, has Keandre Miller been the most impressive person in camp to you? I've thro- I've seen you mention that multiple times. Yeah, so I was going to say, obviously, you've been reading. Um, I, most impressive. That that's a tough one because he's on a team with Igor Shosturkin and Artemi Panarin and, and Mika Zibanejad and you, you know you know the names. But I do. Um, as far as the young guys, yes. But a lot of them, I will say, are having very good camps. Lafreniere has looked really good to me. Hedl has looked really good to me. Kako has had his moments. But Miller looks to me, as much as I thought last year was in many respects a breakout season for him, I think he's taken another step this year, no doubt about it. I, I was talking to Chris Kreider about him the other day, and Kreider was like, like googly eyed, you know, wide eyed, and just saying, "I'm so glad this guy's on my team. 
he was explaining that a guy who skates that well with that kind of reach, he was saying that's just a nightmare for forwards to go against as far as a defenseman is concerned. And then you look at the confidence that he's playing with and the way that he's jumping up in the rush. He already has two goals, I believe, in the preseason. He's shooting it like well, really getting it through traffic better than I think I've seen him in the past. And he just seems to swallow up pucks anytime that it's anywhere in his vicinity at these practices and in these scrimmages. He just really looks like he's ready to elevate his game another step compared to what we saw last year. I, I think he is very much ascending. I think he is well-established as a top-four defenseman in this league. And now I think we're going to see if he has all-star potential because I do believe that it's in there. And I've been really impressed with what I've been seeing from him in this camp. Vince, I think a lot of the pressing questions are on the forward side. But before we get there, I do want to follow up on one more defensive note. Um, I think going into camp, all of us had the hopes that Zach Jones would run away with the sixth defenseman job. Are you surprised that he's actually run away with the sixth defensive job and it hasn't been more of an open competition? Well, yes and no. You know, the Rangers still won't say that he's running away with it. I, I brought it up a couple times to Gerard Gallant, and he always quickly brings up Libor Hayek and says that it's still very much a battle. So I think that they are not ready to say the job is his yet, but based on what we're seeing with our eyes, it very much looks like it is his job. That last handful of practices, he's mostly been skating with Braden Schneider. His two preseason appearances both came paired with Braden Schneider. It very much looks like they're getting those guys ready to play with each other. They're actually, uh, Jones told me this the other day, they're actually staying on the same floor in the same hotel right now. So it sounds like they're spending a decent amount of time together off the ice as well, trying to build that chemistry. So the job, I think, coming into camp, we all felt like he was the favorite. I know I was curious. I've, I've heard you guys tell me before that you were curious as well to see if maybe Matthew Robertson would push him. He didn't really get much of an opportunity to do that. They started camp for, I think, the first two or three days. I know one of the scrimmages, at least. They had Schneider playing with Libor Hayek, but that did not last very long. And then really for over a week now, I want to say, it's been Jones and Schneider for the most part. So all signs are pointing to it being Jones's job. And I think that that is absolutely the right decision at this point. I know some people will be leery of having two 21-year-olds on the same pair, but at some point with Jones, with Robertson, and including Lundqvist, who we know now is gone, I felt like the Rangers needed to see what they have in these guys because they're going to have to make tough decisions. They don't have spots for all of them, and eventually, whether it's trade or what have you, they're going to have to prioritize who's going to stay and who's going to go, and the only way I think you're able to make that decision as educated as you can is by letting them play. And I think that Jones very much looks like he's going to get the first crack at that this season. And they're going to go into the season with him and Schneider as that bottom pair. Speaking of running away with it, Vince, uh, I, I think Kravtsov has looked a little nervous this entire preseason. I don't want to say he looks out of place, but he's definitely finding his game in the North American ice again. He's going to play with Artemi Panarin, right? Like, Artemi Panarin is going to have a say in who he wants on that right-wing line. And, and every video you post is them hanging out or practicing early or staying on the ice late. What has been your feel for that? It's interesting because I, I agree with you that as far as the preseason games are concerned, especially his first preseason game, I did think he looked a little tentative, definitely had some sloppy plays with the puck, definitely seemed to back away from contact in a few spots. I, I feel like he is really trying to 
be on his best behavior and not screw things up and maybe be playing a little risk averse, playing a little tentative right now. But with that being said, what we're seeing in practice is very different. And, and I also should note that we have not seen him in a preseason game play with both Trocek and Panarin at the same time. And that line to me in the scrimmages in the opening days of camp looked like it was the best Rangers line out there. So I, I, I would be very curious before we pass any harsh judgment to see how that line works in some, in some real games. Cause we have not seen that in the preseason yet. So it's kind of this mixed bag. Like I think he's had good moments in camp, but I think his preseason showing has been sort of uneven so far. And I, I do really believe that a big part of that, and I very much came away with this and, and wrote about it last week after we got a chance to talk to him. He is, he seems a little, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but I think that it really did not sit well with him how he was portrayed and how everything was perceived last season. He admitted that it, it bothered him to read some of the comments on social media where people were calling him entitled and, and all kinds of name calling and stuff was going on. I, he said, I want to quietly do my work. I don't want to be in the headlines. I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I think he's kind of walking on eggshells a little bit right now because he doesn't want to screw it up for lack of a better term. He wants to show that he's, gonna, that he's here, he's going to put his head down, he's going to go to work, he's fully committed. Uh, that's why he showed up so early in the summer. Everybody around the team will tell you that he was here. I mean, other than the guys that live in the New York, Connecticut area, Krasov arrived earlier than anyone. He was here in early July. I think he really wants to show that he was all in and, and is going to do everything in his power to make this work. And so I think that there's a little bit of hesitancy on his part just to want to do the right thing. I think he really, really, really wants to get past what happened last year, move forward and, and earn his spot right now. And so maybe that might play into a little bit of the jitters that we're seeing. And, and I think that he's, he's trying to handle things delicately right now and still trying to find his comfort zone. And with that said, the guy who seems to be trying to help him the most in that regard is definitely Panarin. Those two guys, I've, I've been seeing them spending a lot of time together. Panarin is definitely trying to take him under his wing and and that's a pretty good guy if, if you're looking for a mentor and a guy that you're going to play with who's going to help you be better so I, I think he's in a good spot I think he's definitely going to get an opportunity to play in the top six to start the season whether he holds it down is to be determined but the opportunity I believe is going to be there and, and now it's on him to make it work and I think that his his intentions are, are in the right spot I definitely got the sense in talking to him that he he's contrite you know, I, I think we could talk about blame going on both sides, and I believe that that's true. But for his part, he's saying and doing all the right things, and I think that he's really focused right now on, on trying to get past what happened last year and make the most of this opportunity right now. Vince, we've talked on this show, Ryan and myself, and I think you've talked about it as well. It's impossible to go back and watch last year's playoffs and not think the kid line, if it wasn't the most effective line, it was the line that stood out the most in terms of performance. So going into this season, keeping the kid line intact, in a vacuum, you understand the mindset, you understand the mechanism. However, we're now a week away from opening night. Sammy Blay got the first run at right wing on line number one. Didn't seem to click. It seems like Barclay Goodrow is getting the second chance now. At what point are you getting diminishing returns on that top line because the right wing gap is such a hole and you don't want to break up the kid line to address that top line? Well, well that, that is one of the big questions right now. I, I, the top nine in some ways feels like it's one piece short, which could be something that ultimately they try to address 
at the trade deadline, there could come a point. I, I believe it's very possible still that there comes a point where they do decide to break up the kid line, and whether it's Lafreniere or whether it's Kako, try one of those guys on the top line. But I also think that it looks very much like the plan going into the season right now is to keep the kid line together. They have also, I think, looked really good in camp. I believe every each one of them in the first preseason game, each one of them had at least a point, and you've seen that in practices as well. The chemistry seems to be getting even better from what we saw in the playoffs last year. So the temptation, you can understand why it's there to keep them together. The question is going to be, how well does that top line function without a clear answer at right wing? And what it sounds like Gallant might end up doing is sort of rotating Blay and Gaudreau, depending on the situation, depending on the game, depending on who's playing better on a given night. I think you could very much see them swap quite a bit, like in a late-game defensive situation. I think it's very likely you would see Gaudreau up there, but maybe earlier on in the game when they want to bring some size and some physicality, they might put Blay up in that spot. It's too early to say it's the wrong move, it's not going to work. I want to see how it looks in the regular season for a little while before I draw any big conclusions. But I think I talked to you guys about this over the summer. I did think for the sake of balance that they were going to end up playing, I I thought, Lafreniere on right wing on that top line. I'm a little surprised that they're not doing it. But the thing is, if that line can function with either Blay or Gaudreau, and they still have Mika and Kreider, so you know they're going to – I can't see them being a total dud with with those two guys on that line. Then the top nine looks really formidable. Now, the question is going to be how much did they play the kid line? Because even in the playoffs, in a lot of games when they were their best line, they still were only playing 13, 14 minutes a night. You'd like to see them up that just a little bit in the regular season if they're going to continue to play well. And if they're, if they're sharing that ice time a little bit more, then maybe you've got a really well-balanced top nine on your hands. I think that that is probably what Gallant is thinking. But that question, as far as the, the top line right winger, is going to linger until we see more evidence that whatever they're doing is going to work. They're going to try Blay. They're going to try Gaudreau. They could eventually break up the kid line and try one of the kids up there. And ultimately, I think, looking ahead to the trade deadline, if I'm making a prediction in, in early October, I think that could end up being a spot where you see them look to address it at the deadline, uh, you know, unless, like I said, one of those guys takes off in that spot in the next couple months. So it, it's definitely interesting. I think the line construction question will be a point of fascination, but it feels like right now the way that they're leaning is keeping the kid line together to start the season and then just trying to make something work on that right wing spot on the top line. I don't hate keeping the kid line together. I think it's a fantastic weapon to throw out there as a third line like matchup that just causes and creates hell for the other team. But how many times has Lafreniere even tried to skate on right wing in the preseason, Vince? Like twice, maybe? He played, he played uh, his, I think his second preseason game, or no, his first preseason game, I believe, was at right wing. He played with he played with Trocheck. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and he, he's had a couple, he's had a little bit of practice time there, but yeah, he's definitely played more left wing during camp. And I'll also say this, it would not surprise me if they ultimately decide to move one of the kids up. The guy that they've tried there in camp is Kako, not, not Lafreniere as far as playing with Mika and Kreider. So they could end up sticking, you know, keeping Lafreniere as the left wing on the third line with Hedl and then maybe put Blay at right wing on that line and move Kako up to the first line with Kreider and Zibanejad. That to me seems like right now, based on what I've seen them experiment with, that seems like the fallback plan. Agreed, agreed. But 
but right now, you know, it looks like they're leaning towards starting either Blay or Goudreau in that spot and keeping the kid line together. You know, again, to me, if the kid line is playing well and they get a little bit of a boost in their minutes, I don't really, I, I can't really take issue with it. I think that it makes sense and I can understand why they want to keep it going that way. But if, if you really don't find a good solution, if Blay or Goudreau doesn't solidify that spot after a month or two, you know, then it becomes more of a thing where it's like, okay, we, we got to try something different or we have to address it at the, at the trade deadline. It feels like the real roster battles are kind of at the bottom of the roster right now, Vince. It seems like there are two individual battles happening where one is the old, old reliable Jimmy VC against Dryden Hunt. And then you have Bobby Carpenter or sorry, Ryan Carpenter versus Gustav Rydell. Do you have any, it, I think Carpenter's making the team, but I, I know you've said this before, and I, I feel the same way. I'm trying to think of a way where Jimmy VC doesn't make the team, and I can't seem to find one. Yeah, so that that is, I think, really, truly the only question as far as what this roster is going to look like going into the year. I'm of the belief that it makes sense for them to carry 22 instead of 23, I've asked both Chris Drury, Gerard Gallant, and others about this, and it feels like that's the way that they're leaning. Gallant said the other day he has no problem with 22. He's fine with it. So it's definitely something that they're talking about internally. But if you carry 22, that means you're only going to have one extra forward, and then you're going to have some tough decisions to make. Now, I've written about this a couple times. The way I see it breaking down is is two decisions that they have to make. They're going to keep – let's say that they have 11 forwards that they're definitely going to make the team. That's including Krasov and that's including Ryan Reeves, who I do not believe that they're going to cut. So that's, you have 11 right there with the other top nine guys that, you know, plus the draw that leaves one spot that I think they're going to want to give to a center. And that comes down to Carpenter and Redal. And while I do think that Redal has outplayed him for a, a large portion of this camp and stood out more in the preseason games. And, you know, that guy to me, is intriguing because he's like six foot three, two ten, but he skates really, really well. I had a player in the locker room say to me last week, like, this guy has impressed me. He's one of the fastest guys we have out there at camp uh-huh. as far as the way that he's able to skate. So the, the skating is there. The physicality is there. There's not a lot of offense. But, you know, he doesn't have great hands or skill or anything like that, but he kills penalties. He's big. He's fast. He's physical. So I, I, the Rangers identified him specifically as a guy that they thought could play on the fourth line potentially and kill penalties. But the difference between him and Carpenter, well, there's a couple differences. One, everybody knows Carpenter has a history with Gallant, and Gallant is pretty loyal to his guys. But the other thing is Carpenter, to send him down to Hartford, they'd have to place him on waivers. Ridal is waivers exempt. So I think it makes the most sense to protect your depth, to send Ridal down to Hartford, let him play there, and keep Carpenter on the team so you don't risk losing him. And then if you need a call-up, especially if you need a center, I think Ridal would be the first guy that they call up this season. So I would lean towards Carpenter as far as that competition is concerned, just to protect the depth and not risk losing Carpenter on waivers. The, that's 12 then, if we say Carpenter is going to make the team. So who's going to be the 13th? To me, you know, listen, I was just joking with the people on NHL radio about this. Like, Julian Gauthier, I looked this up the other day on National <laughs> Statric. He leads, he leads the team in high-danger scoring chances in the preseason so far and you see it he's doing the same thing he did last year he drives to the net he has these disconnected controller vince that's it baby look look at the power and the speed but he just can't finish and you know that that's an issue and for the rangers i feel like you know 
they've been fooled a couple times into into wondering if they could tap into that and make it work, and it hasn't worked. And he doesn't kill penalties. He doesn't play good defense. He's just not a guy who I see fitting as the 13th guy. So that basically leaves the competition down to Jimmy VC and Dryden Hunt. Now, it's a tough call because both of them to send to Hartford, you're going to have to pass through uh, waivers. And, and VC, you know, could, he's on a PTO. Another team, based on the preseason, the preseason that he's had, you know, could end up wanting to give him a contract. So I'm starting to lean toward VC because he, he's played really, really well in this preseason. And I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times. I never covered him his first go around here, but I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times. He really has put a lot of emphasis into what he said, reinventing himself, which means learning to kill penalties, becoming a more responsible defensive player, you know, trying to work on those aspects of the game to where he can be an effective fourth liner. And you also feel like there's a little more offense in the tank with him than there is with Dryden Hunt. I mean, you look at, you look at VC when he was at the Rangers, I believe he had a 19 goal season. So he has that on his resume and he's played really well in the preseason games. He's really well liked in the locker room. The Rangers obviously targeted him. Chris Drury told us that, that their scouts thought he did a really good job specifically on the PK with the Devils last year. So VC, I think his case is getting harder and harder to ignore. I know the Rangers also really like Dryden Hunt. They, they, they like his speed and his forechecking. I, I think people – he gets a bad rap because he was playing out of place on the second line a lot last year. He cannot be a second liner for you, but I think in a fourth line role, he could maybe be a pretty effective player. So I don't think that they want to lose him either. But then the question becomes, if you want to keep them both, you have to carry 23. And if you carry 23, you're going into the season with, by my calculations, now VC's contract, we don't know exactly what the number would be, but it would probably be the veteran minimum, which is 750. So if you have him at a 750 contract, the Rangers are left with like 180,000 in cap space. Now they could go into the season with that, with a 23 man roster and, and squeeze it under the cap. The problem becomes when you look ahead to the trade deadline, the accrual process, I don't want to get too deep into the math now and bore you guys, but basically mm-hmm. the rough calculation is that whatever you, whatever you have, let's say to start the season, if you maintain that amount of cap space, you accumulate a little bit each day, each day, By the time you get to the trade deadline, you can roughly multiply that number by four. So if the Rangers start with 180,000 and keep that throughout the season going into the trade deadline, they're only going to have seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in cap space at the deadline. And that is not enough money to make an impact move. Whereas if they carry 22, they'll go into the season with about 900 or so thousand in cap space. And you multiply that by four plus some other cap maneuvering you can do on off days it's easy to envision them with four or five million at the trade deadline. And that would be enough to go out and add a a potential top nine piece if you need it. So I think they very much want to have that flexibility, which is why I think they will carry 22. But again, if you're going to carry 22, you're probably going to have to make a choice between VC and hunt. Well, Vince, I'm just, I'm going to say something crazy and I know you got to let you go soon. So this might be my last point, but you know, there is a way for the Rangers to carry 22 and have both Dryden Hunt and Jimmy VC, And that's simply by not carrying the guy that they have no interest in playing in a regular season game. You may know him. His name's Lieber Hayek. Like, why is he here? We've done this conversation 7,000 times, but we're doing it 7,001. Yeah, I, so you're saying go 14 forwards and six defensemen? Yeah, because on, a, on any – listen, if Jones doesn't work out, you'll, you'll have to make a roster move anyway. So why, why carry the extra defenseman if your goal – 
on a nightly basis is to not play him? It's an interesting question. I mean, it's not the craziest idea I've heard. Do I think they'll do it? No. I think they're going to carry 13-7. and seven. That would be my prediction at this point right now. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think more likely if they really decide that they'd be concerned, like let's say if they, if they put Hunt on waivers, if their concern is that another team would claim him, maybe they talk themselves into 23 at least for a short period of time. And then, you know, once an injury happens or eventually it'll kind of work, sort itself out and they'll be able to move down to 22 and then accrue the cap space that we talked about from that point forward. So that's why I wrote about this last week. It wouldn't shock me if they ultimately decide 23 just because they don't want to expose those guys to waivers. But, you know, 14 and 6, could they do it? Sure, in theory. Will they do it? I, I kind of doubt it. So uh, I don't know how deep we want to go down that road. Vince, my last thought, it builds on Greg's. Ask Jimmy VC if he's okay being a 7th D. Because I got to be honest, Brendan Smith played offense. I don't see why VC couldn't play seven well, third line defense comparatively. If that was the yeah, case, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of all the forwards who could be the best defenseman. I, I don't know. I'll bet you Revo would do it. I don't know if he'd be good at it, but I'll bet you he would do it. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm I'm done making fun of Libra Hayek, but it's better. It's a better option. That's all I will say. Vince, yeah, no, much- it's it, 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 it's a tough call. Like I, you know, listen, those guys, whether it's Hunter VC or whatever, like you know the guy could potentially clear waivers and go to Hartford and your problem is solved and you don't worry about it. But there will be that 24 hours where you're sweating it out and wondering, am I going to lose this guy on waivers when you know that that player, whether it's Hunter, whoever would potentially be your first call up in the event of an injury. So, you know, it's like, how much do you value protecting the depth versus how much do you value accruing the cap space? That, that's kind of the, the debate that I think they're having right now. Cap space has to be the number one priority. Has to be. Can't be anything yeah, I, I think, I mean, you saw the way that he used it last year at the deadline. It was incredibly valuable to have all that cap space. He's not going to have anywhere near that kind of cap space this year. But even to be able to potentially have four or five million, you know, you could get a pretty good player with that kind of cap space at the deadline. And I think that's going to be really important to them. They might not need to make the move, but you could see, you could see the writing on the wall when we're talking about the top nine. They might be one piece short there. I think they want to be prepared to make that move if they feel they have to do it. And again, it worked out really well for them to make those moves last year. So you can see the value in having that cap space. Vince, you got to go. Why don't you plug your stuff? You guys know where to find me. Uh, you, you, you find me on Twitter. Yeah.com yeah. slash sports slash Rangers. Got a lot of good stuff coming back in the locker rooms this year. We didn't get to talk about that much uh, on this podcast. But you guys know I, I'm I got you. That. I got you. Go listen to Vince's podcast. He does like a 20 minute segment on being back in the locker rooms. It's a very good listen. If you're interested in that. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I think it's really going to like bring out some stories that we weren't able to tell the last couple of years. And I'm excited to do that. So definitely, yeah, I definitely stay tuned for all that. Hard agree. Vince, thanks so much. Have fun at the practice, man. All right. Take care guys. Later guys. Okay. End of the show. You know what I do now? I'm going to thank some Patreon subscribers. I'm going to mispronounce some names. I'm going to speed run through it. And I'm going to give you some tips about making pumpkin seeds. That's right. That's what you come to Blue Shirts Breakaway for. So, uh, without further ado, Adam Cassidy, Adam Kurt Cohen. Wow, hot start, Ryan. Adam Cortulo, Adam Keach. Adam Keach? I don't know what's wrong with me. Alex Floyd, Alex Carter, Anthony Terragata, Ben Waters, Ben Weber, Brill Ortel, Brandon Lacos, Brett McGinnis, Brian Doyle, Brian Gallagher, Brian Mallon, Chris Finelli, Chris Haru, CJ Stelwagen, Conrad P. Damage, Daniel Dezen, David Narrative, David Siegel, Dennis Dykes, Darian, Eric Stagg, Garrett Reynas. Give Gartner a cup. Gretzky, Gareth McFly, Harrison Hasko, Hip Hip 89, Hollis Sauce, Ian Rodriguez, Jake B, James Masker, Jamie Filippone, Jerry and Marquez, JD, 
Jimmy Mack, JJ Franco, JJ, John Hardesty, John Shea, Johnny Thundercock, Jordan, Josh Kestenbaum, Justin Freeman, Christopher Florida, Christoph Berg, Lazik, Gronowski, I somehow fuck it up every week, Lou Giordano, Matthew Kine, Meatball the Cat, Neil Grover, Nicholas Nicola, Pascal Perrier, Pavel Kodra, Pro World of Sex Gamer, Randy Tester, Stigble Box, Spineguard, Tommy Walsh, all the Tommies, Tommy Sequire, Tommy O'Church Jr., Tommy O'Neill, Tara Tory from Manhattan, the original supporter herself, Upstate Vin, Vinny Hay, uh, Will Spector, and Winston. The Golden Retriever. It's fall, everybody. Get out there. Uh, it's pumpkin picking time. It's apple picking time. The weather is finally breaking. You can actually go outside because it's not a million fucking degrees. Hockey is here. And if you want a great pumpkin recipe, I just made one myself. Go home, pick a pumpkin, carve that shit up, make it cute, make it rangers, and then take all the seeds out, get your gunky hands in the gunk, get all the stuff into a calendar. Calendar? Like October? Colander? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> wash it off, then let it dry on a towel overnight. All of a sudden, you got all these seeds. What the fuck do you do? I got your back. Once they're dry, put them in a bowl, put two scoops of olive oil on them. Two scoops, that's right, like ice cream. Tablespoons, rather. <laughs> Tablespoons. And then two teaspoons, one of sugar, one of cinnamon. Mix it up. Oven for 20 minutes. 10 minutes each time. Shake it up. Flip it over. You're ready to roll. Delicious fall snack. I got your back. Ranger hockey is a week away. We are... Going to do a fun thing on opening night. Greg and I are doing a live watch of the game. A lot to look forward to. And also, I, I believe it is officially booked, a Saturday in November, November 12th. I'm going to just double check that. We are doing an in-person meetup in New York City uh, at Jake's Dilemma, I believe it is called. It's right around the, the corner from where we usually host at the Gin Mill. And we'll be doing a watch party drink up. Should be a fun time. Come on down. Let's watch the Rangers. They've never won during one of these things, but this time it's going to change. I feel it. I feel it. So we'll see you there, and we'll see you all opening night. And uh, happy last week at camp. So we'll talk to you guys soon. Love you guys. Bye.